aren't we? We've got all this stuff that we do, and sometimes it can be chaotic. You think about your life and what you did this week. Were you busy this week? Did you even get to check your email? You know, you got voicemail still to return, and don't start doing it right now and pretending like you're reading your Bible on your phone, okay? But you got stuff that's going on, right? There's all these things that, that we do, and it can be chaotic. I was thinking about it for my family this week. We had a busy week this week, and normal stuff with work and the kids and school and the kids and then just life, and, and there were some extra things that got added to our schedule that we don't normally do. Like on Tuesday night, my wife was able to go and be a part of the, the Nourish event. For those of you who are new to our church, Nourish is the name of our women's ministry. And they were able to go, and my wife was able to go and be with a, a group of ladies, and they talked about mentorship. Diana Green, one of our members, um, shared with the group about women mentoring women and the older women mentoring the younger women, how that's not just age, but where they're at in a spiritual journey. Had several women sign up for mentorship. But ladies, well, several of you were gone to be a part of that. That meant that us men were on our own. <laughs> and uh, for some of us, that meant on our own for meal or on our own for just, we don't know, you know, don't know what to do. I mean, whatever it is. But for me, it meant I was home alone with three of our kids. She took one of our daughters with her. And I was at home with our five-year-old, our four-year-old, and our two-year-old. It was my responsibility to get them in their beds safely and have them actually go to sleep. And so you know how I accomplish this? I do whatever I can do to wear them out. And so I said, what do you girls want to do? And whatever they say, we're doing that, except for eat candy. So whatever, what do you want to do? I said, let's go outside. So we go outside, and we get the bikes out, and we start riding the bikes. Just there in the driveway, and they all got their bikes out. Our five-year-old, she's trying to set, like, speed records going back and forth in the driveway. And then our four-year-old, her personality is totally different. She's like, hey, this is fun, riding my bike, you know, just kind of enjoying the bike and being out there. And our two-year-old, she can't really touch the bike. And, and so I just sit around. She can't touch the pedal, so I sit her on the seat, and I just kind of wheel her around for a little while. And we're enjoying our time on the bikes until one of them goes over to the other one, tries to help them get off the bike, and it, you know, face plant. That didn't go well, and so there's a scrape, and I'm trying to help somebody not cry. And in the meantime, somebody goes in the garage and starts getting other stuff out. They get the soccer ball out, and they're kicking the soccer ball around. One of them gets a basketball out, but the basketball is deflated, so I'm pumping the basketball up while they're getting other things out of the garage, and I get that going. And finally, my four-year-old's like, I want to dribble, and so I'm showing her my moves. I got skills to pay the bills, you know? And anyway, I impressed a four-year-old, but I was dribbling the ball around, and she starts trying to dribble the ball around, and somebody else gets the baseballs out. They were in a bucket. Drop the bucket. They start rolling down the driveway. Guess what? One of the kids chases the baseball. So I'm to save her life, you know, bring her back, come back. And I don't remember exactly what we were doing because everything was so chaotic in the moment. But I remember looking up at one moment and realizing there's only two children here. <laughs> and it's our oldest two. And, I, and I'll tell you, my wife is a gracious woman. But if she were to leave me with three children and come back and I only had two, <laughs> that wouldn't go very well. And so, and so I looked up at it and it was the two oldest and I said, where's Janie? You know, the two-year-old, where's she at? So, I don't know. You know, what kids say at that moment, they're doing their thing. And so I, start, I run around the back of the house and she's digging in the dirt in the backyard. So I'll just relieve, you know, there she is. But it was like amidst all that chaos, all of a sudden it was, I noticed something very important was missing. Have you ever had that in life kind of like that sometimes? You get busy doing all this stuff and it can be so chaotic and you notice something's missing. And moms, I know your lives, your lives can be like that on a regular basis. You get, you know, one kid asks for something, then somebody else asks for something, and then somebody falls down and gets hurt, and you got to do, and it's just like the day goes by, and you forgot to take a shower. It's like just normal stuff happen. Or maybe you don't stay home with kids, you go to the office, and there's emails to check, and there's meetings to go to, and there's the boss has pressure of deadlines, and there's just stuff that's going on. Or, or maybe you work an hourly job, and because of the economy, they've cut back your salary, so now you have to work more just to make the same money you used to make, and there might be layoffs at your company and you don't know if your department's next and, and maybe you run the company so you're the boss and so you make decisions for, for different things that are happening and there's always people that don't like the decisions you make and then you got to manage it's almost like being a parent you know there's HR thing trying to get these people to get along with one another and you still have documents to read reports to read all these meetings to go to presentations to give and oh yeah by the way there's clients <laughs> we're not even just talking about stuff that's going on inside and there's all this chaos that goes on in our lives 
doesn't matter if you're a student, if you're an employer, or an employee, if you stay at home, if you're unemployed, there's all this stuff to do. And amidst all the chaos, do you ever feel like something's missing? And maybe it's not an emergency realization like when I looked up and saw two children, I'm supposed to have three, and a but it's like a slow restlessness that can happen in your soul. Something's missing. And what if that restlessness and the thing that's missing is really rest? And today we're going to talk about how God is for rest. Now some of us, that might seem like a very foreign concept. Maybe you've grown up in church, you've been around church, maybe you've been in the church before where it seems like if the church doors are open, you're supposed to be there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday night Bible study, Friday night outreach, go to the hospital, you've got to make stuff for the thing that's happening on Saturday, Saturday. you're cooking cooking food, food, you're serving food, food, you're cleaning up, you're setting up, and you're tearing down, and you're teaching, you're serving, you're you're ushering, you're you're doing all this this stuff. stuff. And we're not not verbally verbally say it, it. but maybe maybe we communicate non-verbally, subconsciously. God's happier with you if you're busy. And it's true, God wants you to serve. And God wants you to sacrifice, and that's part of the call of following Jesus. But there's this tension there where God's also for rest. And so I just ask you, amidst all the serving of you, against all the stuff that happens, maybe it's God's stuff, maybe it's not God's stuff, maybe it's all kinds of stuff. Does anyone ever ask you, how's your soul? What I'm asking you today, how's your soul? Does it need some rest? That's what we're going to talk about. In Exodus, Exodus chapter, chapter 20. 20. If you have your Bibles, Bible, we're going to be in Exodus, Exodus chapter, chapter 20. It's the second, second book in the Old Testament, Testament Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. We've been, been talking, talking about Exodus. We've, we've, been, we've been doing this series entitled Four, talking about what God is ultimately for us and as his followers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We claim we place our faith in Jesus. Then shouldn't we be for the very things that God is for? And what God is for is us loving him and ultimately loving others. And we're looking at the fourth of the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments. Remember with the Ten, the Ten Commandments. Commandments. They were, they were not, not rules that you obey in order to make God, God like, you. like you. A relationship, a relationship with God, God has always, always been by grace. It was by his grace he freed them from Egypt. It was by faith that they followed him. It's always been by grace through faith, not our works, not the things that we do, or else we'd be able to become proud of our relationship with God, but ultimately he did all the work, and it was because of his great name, it was because of what he accomplished on the cross, it was because of what he's done in our individual lives to bring us into a relationship with him. That's how it was in the Old Testament, too. And in the, in Old, the Testament, Old Testament, these are these people, people that already have a relationship with him. He's giving these rules to, these commandments to. It's, it's a covenant relationship that's taking place here. here. And remember, it's a very intense scene in Exodus chapter 19. Moses tells us what the scene was like. There was thunder and lightning, and then the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder. And the cloud came down on the mountain, and the mountain began to shake violently, and then God spoke. And I'll read you from verse 1 in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the am Lord, the Lord your, your God, God, a personal, a personal God, God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of, Egypt, out of the out land of slavery. He's a God we saw first week. week. He's for freedom. freedom. You shall not hold, or you shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. He's for, we saw the second week, the real thing, no phonies. He's for authenticity. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them. And here's why, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, pursue you with a burning passion, punishing the children for the sins of the father, of their fathers, to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me. I'm showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And he's for the the fame of his name. name. We saw saw last week. week. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then this week, we see this fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. 
by keeping, by it, keeping holy. it holy. Six, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, work. but the seventh day is a Sabbath, Sabbath to the Lord your God. Your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. I read this to my kids this week. Aliens? Aliens in the Bible? People that live somewhere else. they're talking about. Nor the alien within your gates. And he says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but the seventh day, on the seventh day rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it different, different, made it distinct, distinct, set it set apart, it apart made, it made it holy. That was God's, God's model in creation. creation. And here, and here we, have we have a, a very unique commandment. As New Testament, Testament believers to be able to read this commandment, commandment. And it's, it's very unique for us, unlike, unlike the first three that we've that talked about. about. This commandment, this commandment is a sign. sign. And you read in Exodus chapter 31, uh, the God says to his people, this is a sign to the other nations. It's a sign that you're holy, that you're distinct, that you're different, that you're set apart. And it's a sign that ultimately points back to them being freed from slavery in Egypt. You think about think signs about and how important, and how important they, are. they are. If you've been on any kind of road trips, you probably don't need signs to go to the places, to the places you regularly go. go. But think about when you go on a trip, maybe you need your GPS, your GPS will give you some signs, or maybe you read the road signs, or stop signs, or detour signs, directional signs. Signs can be so crucial, because if you miss a sign, you can go on a totally different journey, a totally different path. Like, it was the other day, I was in a different town, not here in Raleigh, and so I was using my GPS. And do you ever think you're smarter than your GPS? And I was, and I was sitting, there, sitting there, and the GPS, GPS was talking, talking to me, and I'll turn right in 400 feet, and I'm sitting at the stoplight, and I'm thinking to myself, no, it's right over there. there. So I turned so down, down this road, and then I realized I just turned down the wrong way of a one-way. All these cars are coming towards me, and they're thinking, what an idiot. And I'm thinking, I'm an idiot. You know, I pull off to the side of the road, try to drive backwards, get back on. At if you ignore the sign, you can have problems. This is a unique sign, because it points in a direction back to what happened in Egypt. But as a New Testament believer, it not only points back, it points forward. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul, Paul tells, tells us this in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, beyond the screen. Therefore, Therefore do not let anyone, anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. It's changing, changing things about the Sabbath. Sabbath. These, are These are a shadow, shadow of the things, things that, that were to come. come. The reality, the reality however, is found in Christ. In Christ. See, the, See Sabbath the Sabbath was pointing back for the Israelites, back to their time in Egypt, how God freed them, and now they were to rest. They're to set a day apart as a Sabbath day once a week and make it a distinct day where they didn't do any of the work they do the rest of the week. And that was going to be a sign to the other nations that this nation was different because their God was different. But now the Apostle Paul says this. It's not about a day. Because that day ultimately pointed us also forward to what would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so let me explain to you what this means. I'm preaching to you a commandment today that you're not morally obligated to keep. <sighs> Finally, Finally, easy week. Let's wrap it up. Let's another song. Get out of here, out of right? Here, right? Not exactly. Not exactly. <clears throat> See, it's, See, it's true, true that there's no there's moral no obligation, obligation to keep a specific, specific Sabbath day now as New Testament, Testament believers. believers. It was a it was shadow, shadow of something. Of something. It, it showed the form of the thing that it was portraying. It, it was a pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ has come. What it was is it was a sign of the Old Covenant, a sign of what's called, scholars call the Mosaic Covenant, what was given here uh, on this mountain. And what took place here, if you obey these things, then I'm going to bless you. If you don't obey these things, then I'm going to curse you. And this was a sign of it, that you'd keep this day. But now we're under a new covenant. We're under a covenant of grace. We're under a covenant of mercy. We're under a covenant of blood, which is ultimately accomplished through Jesus Christ and the victory that he obtained on the cross. See, none of us were ever freed from slavery from Egypt, at least not my story. I don't think it's anybody's story here. But we were freed from the bondage of sin and the debt that we had against God. And ultimately, Jesus Christ freed us from that. 
And what the Apostle Paul goes on to teach us in the New Testament is this. It's not about a day, but it's about a continual, every day, finding rest ultimately not in a day, not in a vacation, not because you get two weeks off every 50. It's not because you get one day off every week. It's not even because you get a whole year off every seventh year, which that's what they did, and that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? That's what they did in the Old Testament. But ultimately, your rest is found in Jesus Christ. And he's for rest. The principle's still true. Now, we don't have to obey a specific day. Apostle Paul talks about there are some people that I'll be very important to. He says, that's okay. And so if you say, I, I keep the day, I've always kept the day, my parents taught me to keep the day, that's okay, I'm not going to argue with you about that. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul tells us how to treat that situation. It says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he who gives thanks to God and, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul was not a postmodernist. He was not a relativist. It wasn't if that's okay for him and this is okay for you and everybody's got their own truth. It wasn't that. He's saying they're not hurting anybody. They set a day apart. That's not going to hurt anything if you do that. But don't miss the essence here. If you start saying that by keeping that day, somehow you obtain a relationship with God, now we have a problem. That's a false gospel. And what you have to do is then ultimately see that all these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is a unique commandment. And here's why it's different. Because I was talking to somebody about this message this week, and they said, so if you're going to say we don't have to keep this commandment, so what about stealing? What about murder? And I said, go for it. You know, no, I didn't say that. Whoa. He talks fast. I didn't know what was happening. But anyway, <clears throat> here's the deal. All the other commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Don't murder, it's in the New Testament. Jesus even talks about it. Don't commit adultery, it's still in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. In fact, both those two, he actually expands and says, you don't understand, this is about your heart, not just the activity. Don't steal in the New Testament. Don't, don't have idols, First John talks about that. You've got it throughout. Honor your parents, look at the Ephesians. Ephesians talks about that. They're all in the New Testament, but not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the one that's not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, it's changed in the New Testament to where it's not just one day, but every day. Now, some people still want to keep one day. That's okay. Don't argue with them about that. It's totally fine. As long as they aren't saying that you keep that one day and somehow that obtains your salvation. Then we're totally cool. That's not a big deal. But what ultimately God is for is he's for your rest. But that rest is only found ultimately not in a day off and not in vacation and not even as nice as it would be to sit in a hammock in the Caribbean. The rest is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in his presence. It's found in his person. It's found in his power. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That ultimately true rest, biblical rest, is found in the presence of of God. It's found in his presence, and that's our first point. And ultimately, true rest is found in his presence. And the essence of that is even shared here in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, this very first part of this commandment says, remember, it's the first commandment that's given in a, a positive phrasing here in, in, in these 10 commandments. So it's the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by, or some translations say, in order that you'd keep it holy. And so the very first thing we're told to do is to remember. That's the command. And so what does that mean, to remember something? Ah, yeah, got it, ding, you know, quiz comes up, I got it, right? Now, think about this. Every week, the same day, every week for your whole life, you're to remember this. And so who's going to forget, I mean, really, you're going to forget this? It's like Google calendars back in the Old Testament. I mean, what do you need here to remember this? Not that big of a deal, is it? And the best illustration I know of for this, it's like how every year there's probably special days that come up, when it's a birthday, a holiday, an anniversary, you, it's not enough just to like, oh yeah, today's the, you know, so-and-so's birthday, or oh yeah, honey, it's our anniversary, I remembered, you know, that, that's not it. There's an action required with this type of remembrance, 
And so, guys, if you were to just, you know, all of a sudden it's your anniversary rolls around, your wife comes walking in and say it's your 25th anniversary or something. Hey, honey, do you know what today is? <laughs> it's our anniversary. You good? Guys, you going to be okay just because you got the date? I don't know what the dynamics are in your family, but I'm going to guess that every person, it's going to require some action. I don't know. It might be a flower. It might be some candy. It might be a card. It might be, you know, a jewelry. <laughs> Sorry, but it might be. I don't know. There's some activity that's required there. And that's the same for this commandment here, this remember. And when you look through the scriptures, what you see is when God remembered, he took action. And when he says there's people to remember, he wants them to take action. And the, and the action he wants them to take here is this. Remember the Sabbath. You know what the word Sabbath means? Very literally, the word Sabbath means, and I want you to get this, write this down. Even if you don't normally take notes, because it's such a weird concept. Stop. Cease. Quit. Pause. Cut it out. That's what Sabbath means. You stop doing whatever you're doing before. You stop that. And that's so foreign to us. Because you think about it, we're so good at doing and we do multiple things at the same time. We're multitaskers. You just think about what we do in the car. This week I was driving in the car. I was, came to a four-way stop, kind of a country road type area. There's nobody else around. There's this person in front of me. It doesn't matter gender. But there's a person in front of me, and they stop at the stop sign, and then we just sit there. And I'm looking around like, what's going on here? I think the person forgot they were in a vehicle. I don't know what they were doing. I gave them a little friendly reminder, you know. Beep. A little bit more like, you know, anyway, right. we do all kinds of stuff in the car, don't we? You ever read in the car? Look at your phone on the car, tweet in the car, check your Facebook on the car. Do all kind, you can do all, like, your, all your work in the car. Just, you just do all this, there's all kinds of stuff you can do in the car. You ever see people do their makeup in the car? People shave in the car? What are we doing? We're multitasking because we're good at doing a bunch of stuff. And so think about in our culture telling someone to stop, how foreign that is. And I learned something interesting this week in studying this passage. Did you know that Israel was the only, well, they were in the ancient Near East, they were the only people group that actually had a Sabbath. The only people that actually stopped for a whole day to focus on their God. That's what made it unique. That's what made it set apart. That's what made that day holy is because they were the only ones that would do it. Because in the other cultures, the belief was this, that you could only rest when your God had victory. And the examples are things like this. Like if you were a farmer and it hadn't rained in a long time, and you wanted the rain god to defeat the sun god, then you had to do certain things. I don't know if it was like rain dance, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it was, the dances they had to do or what it was. There were different activities, though, to do to get your rain god to be able to defeat the sun god. And then I guess if you were you know, a counselor or something that rained a whole bunch for a long time, you want to get the sun god to beat the rain god, you got to do stuff to make the sun god work. And the only time you could get rest is when your god had victory. And then the rest was only temporary. So then think about it for the Israelites. Every week, once a week, I want you to rest. What are they doing? They're stopping acknowledging, your God, we're not. And you don't need us because you sit in a seat of victory. And that's what it was for Israel as they remembered how God had freed them from Egyptian slavery. Now think about it for us. And ultimately the victory being accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross when he, gets, he defeats death. He gets victory over sin and death and fear and anxiety and worry and everything that can separate us from him. He's got victory over all that and it doesn't have anything to do with anything we've done. As he's saying, ultimately it's fulfilled in Christ. And ultimately our rest is found in him and so we stop. That's our activity. Stop and reflect wholly on him a holy God, and in his presence, let him reveal himself to us. How often do you stop and reflect on him?
maybe throughout the day or maybe it goes by a week. And I don't think that we intentionally forget his presence. I don't think that most of us think God's not really there. He kind of started everything and he's not really present anymore. We know his presence is out there. We just ignore it because we get so busy. I mean, you see his presence mentioned throughout the scriptures. He says it in the New Testament, in the Great Commission, which is our mission as believers in Jesus Christ. We phrase it different ways in different churches, but ultimately it's all the same. Jesus comes to his disciples and says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Baptize them. People should be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, and here's the promise, I'll be with you always. He promises his presence. And lo, I am with you always. In Hebrews, he's talking about contentment. He says, don't find contentment in things of this world because I will never leave you or forsake you. You lose all that other stuff, but I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Psalm 139 Psalm 139, the psalmist says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's everywhere all the time. It says, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I, se- if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's always there. He's forever present. When's the last time you stopped and reflected on his presence? Think about what he says in the Old Testament. Have you ever wondered why it is that God introduces himself when he speaks sometimes as, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know what he's saying? I'm the God of your father, Abraham. I was there with him. I'm not a God who just created things and kind of set it into motion and let you guys figure it all out. He said, I was there with Abraham, and I was there with Isaac, and I was there with Jacob, and now he's speaking to someone else. So guess what? Now I'm here with you. You see it in Exodus, through the context of our passage today. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, remember Moses' story? He kills a guy, and he's in hiding. He, he's running. And can you imagine if you killed someone, the guilt that you would feel with that one? But who's the last person you want to talk to? Probably, well, you don't want to talk to the person you killed. You don't want to talk to their family. You don't want to talk to police. You don't want to talk to the king. But you probably don't want to talk to God. And Moses is in hiding, and then God starts speaking to him, and he introduces himself through a burning bush as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. Moses is blown away. Moses doesn't want anything to do with this. He's he's ashamed. There's guilt. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Because God told him, I'm going to use you. I've heard my people. I'm concerned for my people. I have real compassion for my people, and I'm going to use you to bring these people out of Egypt. And he says, the Pharaoh's the leader. He says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Why could you, you can't use me. I mean, I killed a guy. And then, and then you know what God tells them? I'm with you. That's the promise. It's the promise of his presence. It's the same promise he gives us with the Great Commission. It's, I'll be with you. And then the conversation goes a little bit further, and Moses says, well, if people ask your name, who should I say sent me? He says, I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you. What does that mean? Well, it means a whole lot, but it specifically means I am here. I am with you. I am present. When's the last time you stopped and reflected on his presence? I bet a lot of us, we're not very good at stopping. If you're anything like me, my wife and I joke that I don't know what to do when there's nothing to do. I take Fridays off at our house. I'm going to work on Saturdays doing some last things to kind of get ready for the message and stuff. And um, I'll take Fridays off, and we'll be together. And sometimes we'll be at the house, and there won't be anything to do. 
and I'll come up with something to do, so I'll like go break something at the house so I can fix it. <laughs> Not my intention at the beginning, but that's usually what ends up happening. And I just, it's like I want something to do all the time. And we were at a store this Friday, and we had the little girls had a babysitter, and we were at the store, and I was kind of getting bored. And so I started getting annoying <laughs> to my wife. I started making jokes and saying stuff and kind of making up scenarios and all kinds of stuff. She said, hey, why don't you go get me a drink from Sonic? And she loves this drink from Sonic. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, get, I'll go get it. And I had something to do. And then I stopped and I said, hey, wait a minute. You just know that I don't know what to do right now, and so you're sending me to go, get, go do something. She goes, that's right. You can talk about it on Friday or on Sunday. And I was like, I will. You know, I will do that because I don't know what to do when there's nothing to do. I have a hard time stopping. And some of us, we have a hard time stopping. And you know what that is? It's because we're messed up. What kind of people are we that someone has to command us to stop? <laughs> really? And I think about how messed up I am. And sometimes I don't like to stop because I don't like to be alone with my own thoughts. Sometimes I don't like to stop because I don't like to be alone with God. And if I can be real candid with you, I'm going to tell you, I, I've had a real hard time this past year. This past year has been one of the hardest times in my life. I'll just give you a little context of kind of my journey up to this point. Um, this church is a little bit over four years old. For those of you who are new to the church, you might not know that. Um, it was real busy planting a church. Some of you were here at the very beginning, and you may remember all the stuff there was to do. I basically became a workaholic. I would work every day. I didn't take any days off and work ridiculous hours. And even when I go on vacation, I would still do church stuff and take calls from people and do all kinds of stuff like that. I don't do that anymore. But there was a stage in my life where I was doing that. When you first get here, if you remember what it was like, those of you who were here at the beginning, there was a bunch of stuff that would happen. You know, we were raising money from people outside the church so that we could get the church started. We raised money from people around the country, even in other countries, um, to give money here so people didn't think we just came to, you know, get their money. And so we did all that stuff and we're raising money from people outside the church. Plus, my wife and I, we didn't know anybody here. We'd never lived here before, and the one that I knew my brother-in-law and sister-in-law lived down in Durham, and they, and they said, well, we're not coming to your church, and so that was a great start, and uh, they were trying to meet people and uh, rally the troops together and share the vision, so I'm sharing the vision with people outside the church, sharing the vision with people inside the church, and then we we're going to launch the church, had to buy equipment, and then we start raising money, then there's a budget, and there's like, you start bringing the staff, and there's HR stuff, and there's all kinds of things that happen with the church sometimes you don't think about, you just think, show up and teach, and so yeah, there's teaching, so you got to study, and then pray, and then people start showing up, you know what happens then? Then you got issues because people got issues. They want to deal with their stuff. And so you're talking through their stuff and praying with people and hospital visits. All kinds of stuff is going on. I became a workaholic. A little bit over a year ago, uh, one of the first staff members that we hired was a guy named John Cullen. John was our family pastor when we hired him. He was over the children's ministry and over the assimilation process, getting people connected in the church. And we changed his title to Connections Pastor about a year ago, and uh, he oversees getting people connected, getting them to find their sweet spot in ministry and do all those types of things. But he also took a whole bunch of other stuff off my plate. Basically, he became our executive pastor, oversees basically the, all the daily operations of our church, from website, marketing, uh, budget, staffing, all that kind of stuff. Does a great job at it, does a far better job than I did at it. But what happened in my life was all of a sudden there was this pressure that was taken off, and now John was doing it. And now I had two options. I could stop, and we all know the psalm, be still and know that I'm God, right? But who does that? I mean, be still and know that he's God? Like, be still, and I'm going to check my email. You know, something, i got a moment. I'm going to do something. And I could stop, or I could start doing some other adventures. And I actually started down the road of starting some other projects, some other things. And then it was like God just stopped me. And with the pressure off, do you know what happened? All of a sudden, stuff started to ooze out from the inside. I didn't like it. I didn't like what was coming out. I didn't like myself. I didn't like dealing with my stuff. And you know what happens when you spend time with a holy God? He reveals sin. 
And he started to unpack my bags and deal with sin from my past and started to deal with sin from my present. I didn't like any of it. And some of the hardest times of my life over the last year have been times in prayer. And when I get alone with God and he starts to speak to me, he starts to reveal stuff to me. And it's been terrible. It's been great. Do you ever stop and get alone with a holy and righteous God who, who's saying to his people here, just have, I just want one day with you. It's, kind of, it's almost like in the Old Testament, it's kind of like the tithes. Like, I own all your time, but I just want you to set apart one day. I own all your money, but you just give me 10%. Just an acknowledgement that it's all mine. And he says in the New Testament, no, I want all of it. I want all of it. I want you just to stop. Every day I want you to stop and be with me. Just reflect on, where does your rest come from? It comes from being in my presence. How much time do you spend in his presence? We get so busy, we ignore the fact that he's even there. I was doing God stuff. Ignoring that God's presence is even a reality in my life. See, true rest is found in his presence. It's not only found in his presence, it's found in his person. That's why Paul says what he says in Colossians chapter 2. Let me read you the fuller context in Colossians chapter 2. Back in verse 13, he says this. When you were dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision, it's a picture of our hearts, the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive, and so you were dead, and now he's made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, past, present, future, all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, Instead so opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Ultimately, rest is found, Sabbath is found in Christ. That's why Jesus is able to say the things that he says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me all. Come to me all you who are weary. Are you ever weary? And burdened. It doesn't matter what the burden is. And I'll give you rest. Then he goes on to explain what he's talking about. Take my yoke upon you. What? Work. And learn from me, for I am gentle, and he talks about his character, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, because he does the work. And we get so chaotic and doing all of our stuff. And then he comes to us with a passage like this, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened. Powerful passage. It becomes far more powerful when you start to realize who's listening. And you start to look at and read Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 12 and you see the context of the crowd of people that are there. And you know who's there? The Pharisees are there. These religious leaders. And some of you might be familiar with the Pharisees, some of you might not. What happens, it's real ironic, if you read Matthew chapter 11, this is the very end of the chapter. And then you know what happens in Matthew chapter 12? They get an argument over the Sabbath day. (laughs) He's just said, come to me for rest. And then they get upset because he's doing work on the Sabbath. and, And he says to them, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And you read another passage in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, and Jesus says this about the Sabbath day. He says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, it was given to you as a gift. See, all the other nations, all these other people, they'll work all the time, seven days a week. You worked that way when you were in slavery, when you were in bondage to your work, but now I'm gonna give you, I want you to have one day. And that was the way that it was intended to be under the old covenant. You, just, you have a day where you get some rest and you can just focus on me. But the, see, what happened is the Pharisees have made even the Sabbath day a burden. 
They're well-meaning religious people. Now, there's some bad Pharisees, but I, I genuinely believe there were some of the Pharisees that really they were, just a, they were fearful of God. They wanted to do the right thing. And so they came up with a bunch of rules to try and make sure they never messed up. And they had all these rules about things you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. Don't walk too far from your house. Don't carry too much stuff. You can't lift certain things a certain way. Can't help people. All kinds of rules. And the rules became a burden. And this thing that God gave as a gift became a burden. And he says to these people that are burdened with religious rules themselves, and then also putting that on a bunch of other people, come to me. Can you imagine what that was like? Some of you burdened with religious stuff. You're burdened with trying to be a good enough person and you never can do it. He says, you come to me. And I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. Different than any kind of rest you've ever known before. Different than a vacation. Different than a day off. Different than two weeks every 50. I'll give you rest for your soul. And he says it to other people too. Earlier in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we, that we're expecting or should we look for somebody else? And, and you know what Jesus says? He says, do you see that the blind receive sight? There's probably blind people there. Do you see that the lame are walking? There's people there with physical injury. you see the lepers? The lepers are being healed. And the poor, they're having the gospel preached to them. They're having the good news preached to them. You see all these people that are gathered around are all these burdened people. There's sinners and outcasts and there's lepers. Talk about an outcast. You ever feel like you don't fit in? I feel like that sometimes. Like I just don't fit. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with who I am. I just don't necessarily fit in the setting. He says, you come to me. There's poor people there. You ever feel the pressure of paying the bills or debt or whatever it is? He says, it doesn't matter if your burden is debt. You come to me. Or you ever feel the pressure? There's blind people there. You just don't know, kind of directionless. You don't know where to go. You come to me. The lame people, they have a hard time figuring out how to get somewhere and to struggle to do anything. And he says to them, you come to me. And some of you, you have physical illness and there's burdens. And he says, you come to me. And it doesn't matter if you're the highest of the high socially, the Pharisees, or if you're the lowest of the low, the tax collectors, you come to me. And it doesn't matter if your burden is divorce, you come to me. Or if it's debt, you come to me. Or if it's illness, you come to me. Or if it's sin, you come to me. Or if it's religious burden, you come. And he says, you come to me. You come to his person. You say, well, yeah, in Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus was physically present. Of course, that was easy, but does he do that now? Well, he does. But, uh, friend from our church is just sharing with me some of her story or something that happened in her life and uh, she told me about how incredible tragedy took place in fact her husband she and her husband had traveled on a, a business trip that he had he was getting a, an award for some great work that he had done in his business and worked really hard and uh, they had just been sitting down and they were in florida west palm beach and I sat down the day before and we're talking about how gracious god had been to them and how he had provided friends and provided so many things for them and the next day they were out on a bike ride and they're riding, and the ocean's on one side, the road's on the other side. And without even realizing what was happening, this drunk driver came up and hit both of them, knocked her off of her bike, and she said she sat there, and then she saw, and it was like it was in slow motion, saw her husband get hit by this vehicle. Saw him fly into the windshield, and on top of the car, and then off the back of the car, and land headfirst on the pavement. So when he landed headfirst on the pavement, it was like all of a sudden she was jolted back into reality. And she runs over to her husband, and he's turning blue, and he's bleeding out of his eyes and his ears and his nose, and his bones are broken, and he's in this weird, contorted position. And what do you do? I mean, it was her husband for 20-some years, and, and she's looking at him in the situation, and then the woman who hit him gets out of the car, and it becomes clear that she's drunk. She's staggering towards her and talking about how he hit her. How would you feel as, as that woman at that moment? 
And she said in that moment, it was like God revealed to her, this woman's life is being controlled by evil spirits. Something else happened in here. She had mercy on her. Can you imagine that? Do you know where that comes from? It comes from the person of Jesus Christ because he's present with us. And sometimes it takes something to get our attention to realize that. And sometimes we just stop and we realize it. This woman, she goes on to tell her story about how she didn't even know if her husband was alive. And God had provided people to pray with her. He wasn't moving. And graciously, uh, the husband was given back to this woman. A slow recovery and lots of details, a, a very difficult and messy story. But what God showed her through that situation is that I'm with you. You got a burden? You got something heavy? You can come to me. Because that's where your real rest is found. It's not in other people. It's not in a job. It's not in a vacation. It's not in anything that you might try to find in your security and any of that stuff. You will never find true rest. And we've all tried, haven't we? I've tried. It doesn't work. The real rest is found in me and my presence and in my person and ultimately in my power. See, true biblical rest is found in God's power. And you see that as he reveals his power, as he lets these people cross the Red Sea in the Exodus. You see it in the power that's demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, he's never been more present than he is now as he indwells us with the Holy Spirit. So shouldn't his power be evident in our lives? But we get so busy, we can miss it. And I could talk to you for the next several minutes about God's power, but I think we should apply this message. And if you think about it, we're going to have a weird application today. Here's going to be our application. We're going to stop. And we're going to rest in him. And you think about all the applications we've had as a church. And, and oftentimes, we'll talk about sin and we're against sin. You know, we talk about what we're for, but we're against sin. And we tell people, turn from your sin, run away from your sin, run to God. And we'll give people opportunity to repent. People, sometimes they raise their hands. Sometimes they'll come forward, kneel down. Sometimes we have prayer counselors. Different things we've done. Uh, we've taken off our shoes, given them to people that didn't have shoes in our town. Remember that Sunday? You didn't know you were going to give your shoes away when you came to church. And we gave them away to people that needed shoes. Or we've had people, you know, share their stories. We reflect on their stories. We've had people get baptized. We've done a bunch of different stuff. We've bought gas and done things. But here the thing to do is to stop. And so what we're going to do together this morning is we're going to stop. And rather than me talk to you about his power, why don't you ask him to reveal his power in your life? Why don't you reflect on his presence and think about his person? Because he still says to us today, all who are weary and burdened, you come to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a couple moments of just silence. And the worship team is going to come, and instrumentally they're going to play some stuff real softly, but you continue to sit there. I've intentionally provided you time. The service is not over yet, so you don't have to rush out and get to the children's ministry and pick your kids up or run to your ministry if you're on the hospitality team or whatever it is that you do. Just spend some moments, you and God, because very rarely do we stop. And just stop and reflect on his person, reflect on his presence in your life. Ask him to speak to you. Rather than me guessing what he needs to do in your life, ask him to tell you what he wants to do in your life. Let's just spend some moments in silence.